Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Game of Thrones, The Reign of David. This series looks at the reign of David in the books of 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles to learn from David's victories and failures to see how we can walk more closely with Jesus. We've already had a full morning, but we are still going to be um, actually not only having our teaching, but uh, coming to the Lord's table at the end. Uh, and I will say by way of introduction here, as we're, we're going through this series on David, um, I can go ahead and say actually we're going to be taking communion pretty much for uh, not only this week, but the next four weeks after because of where we're going to be in David's life. Uh, so we're going to be talking today uh, in the second part uh, of the Davidic covenant for our uh, visitors. Uh, this is part of a series we call Game of Thrones. Uh, True confessions here. I have never watched a second of Game of Thrones nor read one page out of the series of books. Uh, so this is not really with that, but it is dealing with we're covering Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles to cover the kings and prophets and kingdom of Israel. And uh, it really fits in with that idea. So we're going to be covering that. And uh, we are right now in 2 Samuel dealing with uh, David, and this is going to be the second part on 2 Samuel 7, dealing with the Davidic covenant. Today I'm just going to read verses 11 to 16 of 2 Samuel. Again, you can follow along in your booklet. They'll be up here on the screen, and I encourage you as well, you can bring your own Bible because we will jump back and forth and talk about some other texts uh, as well. So you can uh, look in your Bible or if you've got it on your uh, phone or tablet, follow along. I'll be using the New International Version this morning. And so hear now the word of the living God, the everlasting King. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. How many of you have ever seen the TV show Antiques Roadshow? Anybody ever watch that? Uh, it's a real barn burner, lots of excitement going on on that TV show. Um, in 2010 in San Diego, there was a woman who brought in a painting from her dad. And you can see here the woman with the painting. And she said, my dad gave me this, and it's a painting of my grandmother. And other people have told me, it's, it's a painting of your grandmother. It's not really worth very much money. But the man who was standing there that was telling her the value of the painting shocked her by saying, well, this is actually a painting by a painter named Robert Henri, and it's worth somewhere between $250,000 and $300,000. And the woman was shocked. She just thought it was a painting of grandmom. And then, actually, they updated it in 2016 and said it had grown in value to between a half a million 
and $700,000. Now I bring this up because sometimes what we have and what may even be part of something in our family is a lot more than it appears at first glance. This woman thought she had a painting of her grandmother and it turned out to be a very pricey treasure. Well, David is receiving a covenant from God and we looked at it last week and it's a glorious covenant even at first glance. However, it's actually far more when you really dive into it than what you thought it was at first. So what is God doing exactly when he is establishing this Davidic covenant? And what do we mean when we say it's an everlasting kingdom? Well, let's dive into our text. Now, the central idea, which I brought up last week in the Davidic covenant, is this idea of building a house. You remember David said, I'm sitting in my palace, in his house, literally in Hebrew, and he says, I want to build a house for God. And the Lord comes back through the prophet Nathan and says this, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. And I mentioned last week that the word house is so central in the chapter, it occurs 15 times. Sometimes it's translated palace, sometimes house, uh, sometimes it's actually translated uh, to be family, uh, but the word house appears 15 times in the chapter. And the whole chapter is turning on this wordplay where God says, you wanted to build a house for me, but I'm actually going to build a house for you. And the play on words includes two parts, actually. When God says that you're going to be wanting to build a house for me and I'm going to be building a house for you, when David's descendant is going to, uh, the house is going to be built, it includes two parts. The temple of God, the house of God that is going to be built, but also the kingdom. So notice in verses 12 and 13, God says, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring or seed. I'm going to use both words today because your translation may have either one of those. It means the same thing. It's the same word throughout the scripture. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. Okay, there's one part of the house. And notice at the end of verse 13, he says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So I'm going to establish your house, David, as a kingdom. But here's the other part. In the beginning of verse 13, he is the one who will build a house for my name. So there's going to be a kingdom, but there's also going to be a temple. So there's this interplay that is going on. A descendant of David is going to establish the kingdom, and a descendant of David is also going to build the temple, the house of God. So there's going to be a Davidic dynasty, and this dynasty will build both the kingdom of God and the temple of God. That's what God is saying here to King David. And this alone is a pretty glorious promise. Remember, David was astounded by it and sat before God and said, who am I that you would make this kind of covenant with me? But David had a glimpse of it, but if he had really understood the fullness of the covenant, he'd have been even more humbled. Because the initial fulfillment of the covenant is Solomon, who is David's son. Notice in verses 12 and 13 again, I'm going to raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body. And in verse 13, he is the one who will build a house for my name. Well, Solomon is David's own son and not a son by adoption. He came from David's own body. Solomon is the one who actually built the great temple. It was known as Solomon's temple. 
And in fact, when you come to 2 Kings and you see Solomon becoming king, there's all of the stuff about the, the preparation, I mean 1 Kings, there's all the stuff about the preparation uh, that goes into David preparing for them to build the temple, and then Solomon actually building the temple. And Solomon was loved by God. That's what he had another name that actually meant loved by God, and he was loved by God, and God did care for him. But notice here, God does warn that if Solomon should disobey, he's going to have to be disciplined. This is in verses 14 and 15. He says, I will be his father. An amazing promise. Not only are you going to be Solomon's father, I'm going to be his father, and he will be my son. And when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men, but my love will never be taken away from him. My chesed, my covenant faithful love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. So God is reminding David, look, you saw Saul, and Saul wanted a dynasty to last for a long time, and how long did it last? One generation. When Saul died, that was the end of it. He was removed as king. But God says, no, that's not going to be the case. When I establish your son, who's going to be Solomon, even if he does wrong and I have to discipline him, I'm still going to keep the kingdom with him. He's going to rule before me. He's going to build this great temple and accomplish all of this. And so there is a sense in which these words are clearly fulfilled in Solomon and the ones who came after him. Solomon builds the temple. He is wise. He is powerful. The kingdom of Israel reaches its greatest extent under Solomon. But, flashing forward a little bit, we all know, does Solomon always stay so wise? One might wonder how the wisest man on earth ends up with a thousand wives and concubines who are leading him to worship gods other than Yahweh. And in fact, what ends up happening is under Rehoboam, his son, who is anything but wise, the kingdom gets split in half. And Judah uh, is on one side, and Judah and Benjamin, and the other ten tribes are on the other side. And so, just like God said, there was discipline. But nonetheless, Solomon and David's descendants reigned for 400 years. And as I mentioned last week, that was unknown in this part of the world at that time. Dynasties did not last for 400 years. And that is a long time. Think about it. I mean, America is barely half that age. That's how long we would only be halfway into David's descendants ruling in our history in America. So that is pretty impressive. But here's the problem. The problem is the promise was not your son will establish a kingdom that will last for 400 years. How long was the kingdom supposed to last? Forever. Notice in verses 13 and 16. He's the one who built a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 16. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, and your throne will be established forever. God's not stuttering. He's repeating it three times because he wants it known this is an eternal kingdom. This is a forever kingdom. This is going to happen. The covenant declares that the dynasty will last forever. Repeated three times for emphasis. So 400 years is a long time, but it's not forever. It's just a bit shy of forever. And this creates a problem. 
And it's a problem we actually see in the Old Testament where they struggle with this when, in fact, David's last son is taken off the throne, the temple is destroyed, and everyone is carried off into exile. And there is suddenly this huge struggle. Psalm 89, as I mentioned last week, is a psalm that is a reflection on God's covenant with David. And notice in verses 34 to 37, I'll just read parts of it. The whole psalm is about God's covenant with David. But here's what it says in verse 34 to 37. This is, uh, they're quoting what God has said. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once and for all, I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David, that his line will continue forever, and his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. And that's what the psalm is doing here. God is saying, I'm telling you, I'm swearing and taking an oath. Not that I would need to. I'm a God who doesn't lie. I'm taking an oath on my holiness. It's an oath that I'm giving to David, my servant. And it's, it's like the sun and the moon in the sky. Your kingdom is going to be established forever, David. It will endure. It will never cease to exist. But here's the interesting thing. Psalm 89 is written during the exile. And so as you move down in Psalm 89, here's what we read in verses just 38 and 39. It's actually a much longer portion, but I'll just read those uh, two verses. So you made this everlasting promise, but you have rejected, you have spurned, you've been very angry with your anointed one. What's the Hebrew word for anointed one? Mashiach, from which we get Messiah. You've been, you've been angry with your anointed one, the, the son of David that was the king. You have renounced the covenant with your servant and have defiled his crown in the dust. Do you understand what the psalmist is saying here? You made a promise that it was going to last forever, but that king's crown is defiled in the dust. You promised that your house was going to be built by David's son and it was going to last forever, but that temple is in ruins. It got destroyed. You had promised us we were going to inherit the land, but we're sitting in Babylon while I'm writing this. We are not in the covenant place. Where is the anointed one? Where is the Messiah? And so the question that arises is, did the covenant fail? When God said forever, did he mean forever or did he approximate it at 400 years? Which did he mean? And how do we handle that? Yes, my money's on forever. So what does that mean then? If that's the case, how is it that God kept his word? This is a very, very important thing for us to understand as we go through this because the true fulfillment of God's covenant with David is not Solomon. It's Jesus Christ. And we have to understand this. Otherwise, we think a painting is just a picture of grandmom, and we don't know what we really have. If we think the promises to Solomon, we don't really understand the covenant. Now, why do I say this? Let me point out at the beginning that actually the Davidic covenant is really one with the Abrahamic covenant. 
They are the same covenant. Now, why do I say this? I want to show you real briefly here the key provisions. There are five key provisions, or four key provisions in both covenants. I'm going to show you they're the same provisions. Here in Genesis 12, 2 and 3, and then down in verse 7, here's the key provisions in the Abrahamic covenant. God says, I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. Now, I'm actually, this week, this is not something I do, so for our visitors, you ought to pay attention to this, because I'm not much of a preacher guy. But I've figured out four Ps to line up for all of these things, okay? So, yes, I, I'm, I'm getting my Baptist on up here. So, the, the, the great name is prestige. God says, you're going to have prestige. You're going to have a great name. Secondly, he promises protection. He says, I'm going to bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Thirdly, he promises in posterity. Notice in verse 7, to your offspring or your seed. Okay, the Hebrew word is zerah. I'm going to give this land, which is the fourth P, which is place. There is prestige, your name will be great. There is protection. I will bless you and I will curse anyone who attempts to curse you. There is posterity. You are going to have a seed, Abraham. And finally, there is a place you're going to inherit this land. Now, let's look at the covenant God makes with David. And I want you to see the same four things happen. In verses 9 and 10, uh, God says this. Notice in verse 9, I have cut off all your enemies from before you. That's actually protection. They're in a different order here. Secondly, I will make your name great, which is prestige. Thirdly, uh, I will provide a place for my people Israel, which is a place. And finally, I'm going to do this through an offspring, same word, who's going to succeed you. Notice the same four provisions. Prestige, protection, posterity, and place. Same four with Abraham, same four with David. Unless you think David misses this, God even does some more things to show this is the same covenant. The same exact phrases are used as the same key words. For example, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 4, God says this to Abraham. Remember, this is when Abraham said, hey, I, I, I guess my heir is going to be this servant. And God says, no, and you're gonna, your descendants going to be like the stars in the sky, all of that. In that passage, God says this to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body. He's the one that's going to be your heir. Well, notice, did you notice when we read God's covenant with David in verse 12, he says this. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Who will come from your own body? Both of them are promised an offspring. Same Hebrew word, zerah, or when they translate it into Greek, it's sperma. Uh, and in both covenants, this offspring is going to come from your own body. Now, lest you think, well, yeah, but they probably said that thousands of times. When God spoke that to David, he had spoken that phrase one other time in all of Bible. To Abraham. That's it. And it's only used one other time in all of Scripture, which is David, who's later being persecuted by his son, who says, this is a son who came from my own body doing this. Clearly, he's not the one God promised, because this guy's trying to knock me off. Only times it occurs in Scripture. But there's more. Yes, there's more. Um, so he goes on in verses 2 and 8 uh, of Genesis chapter 15. Notice what they call God. 
Abraham in Genesis 15, as God is making covenant with him, we read, but Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar. And this is when God says, I'm going to give you an offspring. Verse 8, but Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know I'll gain possession of the land that you're promising me? So notice both times he calls him, O sovereign Lord. It's a Hebrew phrase that is what we know as Yahweh Adonai is, is, the, is the words that go together. We actually, when I read them in Hebrew, it's Adonai Adonai is that what it sounds like. But it's actually the word Adonai, which is Lord, and the word Yahweh, which is the name for God. So it is O Sovereign Lord. Now here's what's interesting. When David prays, when he's received the covenant, lest you miss that he knows this is the Abrahamic covenant, here's what David says. Who am I, O sovereign Lord, that you should do this? Now, once again, you might say, well, but how, how often do they do that? Well, Abram used it twice. Guess how many times it appears in the entire book of Genesis? Twice. In that covenant in chapter 15. David says it seven times in his prayer in 2 Samuel 7. Guess how many times it appears in all of 1 Samuel and all of 2 Samuel? Those seven times. That's it. It's the only times it's there. This is not a common name that they use for God. David is flashing a neon sign for us. I realize the covenant you made with me is the covenant you made with Abraham. When you promised him offspring, you're now saying it's my offspring is going to be that one. The two covenants are the same. The Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant are two expressions of God's one covenant. They have the same promises. They use the same unusual phrases and names and even title for God. Now, why is this important? It's important because that defines who the offspring is. There is only one true offspring and seed of Abraham. There is only one true offspring and seed of Jesus. Why do I say this? Because the Apostle Paul, writing by the authority of the Holy Spirit, tells us that is so. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul's quoting here from Genesis 12, 7, where God said to you and your offspring, your seed, I will give this land. Here's what Paul says. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, or offspring, same Greek and Hebrew word. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning how many people? One. And who is that one? Christ. So, Paul is saying here, when God made the promise to Abraham, who was the promise actually given to? It's given to Jesus. See, we, we get this, we think it's Isaac. It's not Isaac. It's Jesus, according to the Holy Spirit. There are not many seeds. There is one who inherits the covenant promises. It is Jesus Christ. And what this means is if you actually go through the Old Testament, what's the first time we hear about a seed or an offspring who's going to come? Remember at the fall? Adam and Eve are standing there having made a ruin 
of everything they had been given by God. And God comes in, you remember, and he has to, he, he's having to put the curse down, but in the midst of it, he gives the first gospel. He says, but I want you to know this. I'm going to put enmity between you, serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. Who is the seed that is promised that is going to come from the woman and crush the head of the serpent? It's Jesus. There is no other. Now you remember Eve made the mistake. When Cain comes out, Eve says, ah, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth the offspring. This is the end of the story. No, not quite. You're off by like millennia. It's not going to be Cain. In fact, he's going to be the first murderer. But see, that's what they're thinking. But the promise was not about Cain. It was not about Abel. It was not about Seth. It was about Jesus. And when Abraham comes along, and Abraham wants to know what is his place before God, and God makes covenant with Abraham and says, to you and your offspring, I am giving these covenant promises. Abraham thinks it's Isaac. Isaac thinks it's Jacob. But the reality is, they're only types and shadows. Who is the real seed of Abraham? Jesus, according to Paul, you don't have to take my word for it. Paul says there's only one seed. And so when David comes along and he hears, you're going to have an offspring who is going to build my house in the earth, David, and he's going to establish a kingdom, and that kingdom is going to rule forever, who is that offspring? Jesus. It's not Solomon. Solomon's just a type and a shadow, which is why they do well, and they last for 400 years, but they're not the ones who were. Now, lest you wonder whether, well, okay, maybe the thing about Abraham, but I'm not sure about David, let's look and see how the New Testament actually uses 2 Samuel 7 and see who it says it applies to. In the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 1.5, we're reading that the writer is comparing Jesus and the angels at this point. He says, For to which of the angels did God say, You are my son, today I have become your father. That's a quote from Psalm 2, verse 7, about the Davidic king, the Messiah. And, uh, and uh, or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. Does that phrase sound familiar? That's 2 Samuel 7, 14. The son that's coming forth, David, that's going to build the temple, the one that is going to rule, I will be his father and he will be my son. But notice that the writer to Hebrews tells us both of these passages are about Jesus. When God makes the covenant, it's with Jesus. When the later biblical writers write Psalm 2 and they are focusing and reflecting on God's promise to bring forth an anointed king to rule, the writer to Hebrews tells us that is Jesus. Jesus. It was not David. It was not Solomon. It was not any of the other kings, whether they were good or bad. It, they were all only types and shadows pointing to Jesus. Here's the central point, and this is so important for us to understand. In God's covenant, Jesus alone is the fulfillment and the heir of God's covenant promises. Everybody else is just a type and a shadow. They were just a picture to keep reminding us that the true seed was coming, that the true son was coming, that the true king was coming. 
And so everybody else, Isaac is not the promised seed of Abraham. He's only a type of the true seed of Abraham, Jesus. Solomon is not the true king that was to come and was going to build God's temple. He's just a type and a shadow and a picture. It is Jesus who is David's true son, the true anointed king. All the other kings sin and fail. That's the, that's the whole Bible, right? I mean, this is really a pretty short, simple movie. It's just iteration after iteration of they came up and no matter how well they did, they failed and fell short because they weren't the seed of the woman. They weren't the seed of Abraham. They weren't the seed of David. That one had not yet come until Jesus comes. And what this means for us is that Jesus is the inheritor and giver of every single promise God has ever made. 2 Corinthians 1.20, notice what Paul says. For no matter how many promises God has made, let me break down the Greek for you. That means how many ever promises God has made. Whatever he's promised. Anything he has uttered that you might say, that sounds like a promise, here's what Paul tells us. No matter how many they've done, they are yes, where? In Christ. And so through him, we speak the amen to the glory of God. So God says, whatever promise I've made, what about the promise to Adam and Eve in the garden? Who, who, who is the, the promise of the, the fulfillment of that? It's Jesus. What about the promises made to Abraham? Jesus. What about the promises made to Noah or to Moses or to David or to any of the prophets? Jesus. Always the answer is Jesus. You, you remember the old joke, but, it, but it's true, the kid in Sunday school where the parent, the, the teacher's talking about you know, Noah on the ark, and they're talking about animals that come out, and, and the teacher says, I'm thinking of an animal, it's gray, and it lives in a tree. Nothing from the kids. It's like, who is it I'm talking about? Uh, it's got a bushy tail. Still nothing. It likes to eat nuts, and it stores them in the winter. And finally, one of the kids says, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sounds a lot like a squirrel. Okay? But that's a well-trained child. Because the answer in Scripture is always Jesus. The rest of us are the problem. But he is the answer. And so Jesus, the church, is the true temple of God. And the church are the heirs of all of God's covenant promises. God does not have a promise you are not heir to. Because if you are in Christ, you have all of God's promises. Now notice, and this deals directly with the Davidic covenant. What I'm going to bring up and show you a passage. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says this, For we are the what? temple of the living God. Where is God's temple? Look around. What if they build another building in Jerusalem? What is it? It's just a building. That's all it is. There is no other temple. You are God's temple. As shocking as that may sound, we are the temple of the living God. And notice, we know he's thinking of 2 Samuel 7, because he says, as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. I will be a father to you, 
and you will be my sons and daughters. What's he quoting from? 2 Samuel 7. He's just expanded it out and said, I want you to understand, it, it was spoken initially, it was going to be fulfilled by Solomon, so it said a son, but it's sons and daughters. That's what God meant. Because in Christ, you are the heir of David's covenant. You are the temple of God. You are part of the eternal kingdom. And every promise God made is yours in Jesus Christ. God says, when I see you in Christ, I say, I will be your God. And you are my people. All you have longed for is found in Christ. And all I have wanted from eternity, I find in you through Jesus Christ. Now that ought to shock you. Look in the mirror tomorrow. I don't even find what I want. Somehow, in Christ, God says, what I've been wanting is a people. A people in whom I can dwell. I had all kinds of types and shadows. I had buildings. I had tabernacles. I had all this stuff. But what I've been looking for is a people in whom I would dwell. And they would look at me and say, you are our God. And I will say, you are my people. And God says, all of that is true in the church. And he says, you are my sons and daughters. 2 Samuel 7. That promise is yours in Jesus Christ. And so what that means is in Jesus, we are inheritors of God's covenant. In Galatians 3, where I mentioned a few minutes ago, where Paul's reflecting on God's covenant, he concludes that chapter by saying this. Friends, I pray this verse will be burned into your mind. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to promise. Somebody help me. Are the Galatians Jews or Gentiles? Gentiles. Did they have anything to do with God's covenant? Can they trace their lineage back to Abraham in any way, shape, or form? But it doesn't matter. Abraham had one seed, Jesus. And if you are in him, you are the seed of Abraham. And God says, when I promised Abraham that I was going to prosper him, that I was going to care for him, that I was going to protect him, that I was going to bless, bless, bless him, I will do that for you because you are in Christ. That is the gift that God gives to every one of us. And so notice what Paul says, I, I quoted this a couple of minutes ago in 2 Corinthians 1.20. Well, what's our role? Well, we have a simple role. Notice what he says. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the what? Amen. What does amen mean? So be it. God, you, I can't believe you've made this covenant promise to me. I can't believe you've been so gracious to me. My response is amen. So be it. Fulfill your word. Do what you have promised because I am in Christ. Friends, this is the great news. I mean, you read and you look and we realize how far short we fall. But see, did God make covenant with David because David was perfect? We're about to descend into four weeks of David and Bathsheba and the aftermath. 
He is not perfect. Was Abraham perfect? No. I mean, the chapter after God promises him seed, what's the next chapter? Sarah, I've been thinking. How about me and Hagar? I'm going to help God out because God seems to be having a problem bringing his promise about. Am I right? All of them fall short. Every last one. Why? We're not any different. Why are we able to inherit the covenant of God? Because it's not based on your faithfulness. It's based on Jesus' faithfulness. It's not based on your lineage and what you've done. It's the fact that he is the son of Abraham. He is the son of David. He has kept all of God's covenant. He has borne the wrath for all of our covenant breaking and says, and the blessing falls upon you. Now, let me be real clear here before I move to applying the word. When I'm talking about blessing, I am not talking, God has not promised you a Cadillac. Okay? This is not the silly stuff we in the American church have tried to make this. Okay? This is about, you remember God's covenant with Abraham is, I'm going to bless you so that you can what? Be a blessing. I'm going to bless all nations through you. I am on mission. And Abraham... I'm going to get that mission done through you, and I'm going to get it done through your offspring. And God looks at us and says, I will bless you if you will be but a conduit of blessing to other people. That is God's promise to us. But friends, I want to encourage you, lay hold of the promises of God. They are yours in Christ. Now, how do we apply this? And we'll come to the table. The, the only thing for us today that I want to encourage you to do, I'm not even really fully asking a question like I normally do so much, is I want to encourage you to receive God's covenant promises. And the first simple part of that is that, I mean, we understand there is no greater blessing than being blessed by God. God's covenant promises is the best thing on earth. Better to be in covenant with God. Better to be a, a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. To be under the blessing of God is the greatest thing in life. Well, the simple fact is all of God's covenant blessings are found where? In Christ. And if I am not in Christ, how many covenant blessings of God can I claim? None. None. Doesn't matter what your lineage is. Doesn't matter who mom or grandmom or granddad were. It doesn't matter if you're a member of Bay Ridge Christian Church. That's not what brings you covenant blessings. What brings covenant blessings is being in Christ. So first question for us is, am I in Christ? You are not born into Christ. You are born into the kingdom of darkness. You are born dead in trespasses and sins. You are born hostile to God and his covenant. You are born outside God's covenant blessings. And so am I. But if we hear the gospel and we hear that Christ has come, Christ has lived, Christ has died, and Christ is raised ever to make intercession for you and I, to 
pour his blood out to cover our sins. And if we believe that, God says, you are removed from everything I said before. You were in the kingdom of darkness. You've been transferred into the kingdom of the Son I love, the kingdom of light. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You are now made alive in Christ. You were dwelling as a subject of Satan. You are now my blessed child. You had nothing but curse. I give you my blessing. All of that's in Christ. Are you and I in Christ? Have I responded to the gospel, the good news, with repentance and faith? Because it really is good news, friend. You could never earn all of these blessings. See, that's what the covenant with Moses was about, was Israel saying, oh yeah, I think we can do that. Really? Because I'm just going to go ahead and vote no. We can't do that doesn't work. You, you'll never keep God's covenant and keep his blessings. And they, they foolishly said, oh, we'll do works. We'll, we'll work this out. You bless us if we're good, and if we're not, okay, we'll, we'll let the curses fall. Well, that's the dumbest deal ever struck. That is not what you want. And it works all the way until they're gone into exile. What you need is the covenant seed. Have I responded to the good news that's not about my works, but about his? That it's about who Jesus is and what he's done. And I simply repent for my sin and receive him. Have I done that? If you have, or if you have not, please talk to me afterwards so we can talk and we, we can close <laughs> that out. If I have, I want to ask you, are you living as an heir of God's covenant promises? God's covenant is greater than you and I can imagine. And it's not just about temporal stuff. It's about him bringing his shalom, his peace, the way things are supposed to be into my life and then extending it through to others. And if you are in Christ, you have that. You do not have to be a particular saint that somebody's going to paint icons of you someday or something else. You don't have to have a particular job. If you are in Christ, you have all blessings. It's, God's made this so simple, even we can figure it out. Outside of Christ, nothing. In Christ, everything. There is no in-between. So if you are in Jesus, Every covenant promise of God, every provision of God, every plan of God is yours. You may grow, you may learn, but you're never going to be more of a child of God. You are never going to be more loved by God. You are never going to receive more covenant provisions and promises than you have the second you come into Christ. Are we living that way? Are we like David, you remember last week when David heard this, even the glimpse he had, that's when he sat down and he was humble and he praised God and he gave thanks to God. But you remember the end of that prayer, David is like, okay, you promised it, now do it. Are you bold? Do you believe God's covenant promises? Parents, do you claim them for your children? Grandparents, are you claiming them for your grandchildren? Are we praying and claiming them for each other? Are we crying out for God to establish his shalom and his peace? It's a crazy place out there. 
and it's getting crazier by the day. We need the shalom of God. And friends, it's ours in Christ. Are we receiving it? So what we're going to do is we are going to come and we're going to uh, receive this meal. And this meal is our covenant meal. This is the meal that reminds us of all we have from God. And I'm going to begin today, and I'll be very brief with the words of invitation, but Jesus, remember at the end of Revelation, Jesus says these words, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring, the seed of David, and the bright morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. The Spirit and the bride cry out to you this morning, come. The body and the blood are offered for you to secure every covenant promise God has made. We're going to take this, and you do not have to be a member of our church. If you believe this gospel I've been talking about, we encourage you to please participate with us. And uh, as we pass out the elements in a moment, remember there will be gluten-free bread. If you would like any of that, you just raise your hand and Nellie will get it to you. Other than that, friends, I encourage you, let's come to the table together. And I want this morning us to focus. If you got sin, confess it. But I want you to focus and say, God, let me live as your heir, as the joint heir of Jesus Christ. For friends, what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for your covenant promises and provisions. We pray that as we take this together, Lord, you would meet us by your Holy Spirit and bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Gracious Father, you are a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. In the garden, you made covenant with our father and mother, Adam and Eve, providing for their every need and granting them eternal life if they would but obey your command to not eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But when they disobeyed and broke your covenant, we were plunged into death, physical and spiritual. But in your great mercy, you gave a new covenant promise that a seed of the woman would come who would crush the serpent and who would bring us life. This covenant promise of the seed to come flowered in your great promises to Abraham, Moses, and David, keeping hope and faith alive 
until the seed arrived. And in the fullness of time, our Lord Jesus came forth, born of a woman, born under law, the true son of David. He took flesh to fulfill our covenant obligations, to receive the covenant promises, and to dispense all the blessings of your covenant to all who have faith in him. This morning we take this bread, symbol of his flesh, in faith. We believe he is the promised seed, the only heir of your covenant promises, and the one who dispenses of your blessings. We take and we receive this in Jesus' name. Take and eat. Lord Jesus, every covenant in Scripture was sealed with blood. For life is in the blood, and only the blood can cleanse sin. So too, when you came to fulfill all of God's covenant requirements and to institute the new covenant, blood had to be shed. But you did not shed the blood of bulls, goats, or lambs. Rather, you yourself are the sacrificial lamb of God. Your blood was shed to seal the new covenant, to forgive and cleanse us from our sin, to restore us to God, to make us your joint heirs, inheritors of every covenant promise. So we lift up this cup of the new covenant, knowing our place is secured by your works, not ours, that our sins are cleansed by your blood, not ours, and that our place as your children is eternally secured by your blood. So we simply receive this cup and say, thanks be to God for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take and drink. Spirit of the living God, you who bid us come to eat and drink, feed us by this covenant meal throughout this week. Strengthen us in righteousness and against sin and in faith rather than doubt. Impart to us every covenant blessing won for us by our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, that we might live as children of God, heirs of all his promises. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus, the root and offspring of David, the bright morning star. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. And I'm going to conclude with, I could have picked many different covenants, but I'm going to conclude with God's covenant blessing to Abraham. And who in here is an heir of that covenant? If you are in Christ, this is yours. I encourage you, reach out by faith and receive the blessing of God. God says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless whoever blesses you, and I will curse the one who curses you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Go forth in the blessing of Jesus to be a blessing. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.